Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Welcome to you all. So glad to have you with us here today. Uh, as we go ahead and get started, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and we are excited to be able to begin worship today with baptism. Uh, we love doing this because uh, baptism, is a, it's, a, it's a symbol, it's a picture. So in just a few moments, you're going to see some people come down and get baptized. And uh, they're going to go all the way under the water and all the way back up again. And we do that for two reasons. It's a picture, one, of Jesus dying, being buried, and rising again uh, to new life. And second, it's a picture of this person and what they're saying is true of them. That they have died their old life in Christ, risen to new life in Jesus. And then when they walk out of this pool, they're saying, I'm walking forward in life uh, to live and glorify and worship Jesus. And so we're... We're so excited. We had three people uh, getting baptized here in this service. We had three others in the first service, a total of six today, uh, coming forward with baptism. And so we're just excited to worship in that. So uh, first, Sean. Come on down, Sean. So this is Sean. Sean's coming today uh, to present himself for baptism, trusting by faith in Christ. So let's go ahead and show Sean's testimony. Growing up, uh, we really didn't place a lot of emphasis on faith. My mother raised three kids on her own, and we didn't have a lot of money, which meant that she had to work a lot. I remember having to watch her work three jobs at one point just to make ends meet, so she kind of left finding God up to us kids. Uh, I've always had a relationship with God. Even as a kid, I could always feel him moving about in my life, and I just didn't really know what that meant. The first time I truly felt his hand was when I was about 16. I got stabbed multiple times and almost died. And I remember being wheeled out of the ambulance into the emergency room, and my mom was running next to the gurney, crying, saying don't die, and asking God to keep me alive. Um, and as the world kind of faded in and out, and I was in like a dreamlike state, I remember feeling God's presence and a feeling that he wasn't done with me yet. Now, so I survived that, obviously, I'm still here. At the age of 17, I joined the army. And as a soldier, I accepted a long time ago that uh, I am not in control of my own life. And that has, it's always been in God's hand. So why am I here now? Um, I guess because I have always known that God was in control. I've been kind of afraid to relinquish my own control. And that's something that's kind of been ingrained in me as a soldier. Uh, so shaking that idea was difficult for me. And because of that doubt that I had, I kind of felt unworthy of Jesus' sacrifice and unworthy of baptism. Uh, but I knew the answer, and I know the answer. And when I finally came to that realization, it was such a freeing feeling. Um, Jesus died for me. God gave up his son for me. And in return, I give up my life for him. He's in control, and I trust him. And that's why I'm here to get baptized today. Amen. Amen. 
Well, Sean, having heard your testimony, it is now my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, just thank you for Sean. Thank you, God, for his life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in him. I pray, God, your continued blessings on him in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, buddy. All right, Jack, come on down. All right. So this is Jack. Jack comes today presenting himself for baptism. So let's watch his testimony. So I was born in a loving Christian family um, and raised in an awesome church, solid church, loving church. And I was under great instruction, um, discipleship. And then it wasn't really until college that I started to realize that it wasn't my family's faith anymore. It was my own faith. Um, it, was on, it was on me to, to figure out this relationship with Christ and what that looks like on a daily basis. So I started to really pour into scriptures and seeking to know how to grow in that. So then I met my wife. I just felt like my faith really took off with her challenging me and just us talking through um, our testimonies and our faith. And then now uh, being in Fort Bragg and being in Southview, I just have learned and grown a lot um, through scriptures and through discipleship of the men um, in our journey group. And uh, so going through the membership class, um, I've never been baptized before, and so as a calling, according to Scripture, and in obedience to uh, abiding in the church, I just feel like it's I'm, I've been called to be baptized and to make a public profession of faith, and so that's why I'm here today. All right. Amen. Well, Jack, having heard your profession of faith coming today, presenting yourself a baptism. It's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, just thank you for Jack. Thank you, God, just for his life. Thank you for your hand on him. We pray, God, your continued blessings on him as he seeks to live to glorify and honor you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, Becca, come on down. All right. Perfect. Come on around. Yes, yes. All right. So this is Becca. Becca comes today presenting herself for baptism. So let's watch her testimony. Hi, my name is Becca Crownheart, and I've been in church my entire life and have seen and heard the promises of God, but my faith was always based upon my parents' faith until I could see him in my own life. I want to get baptized today to be obedient to him and do what he's called me to be. Amen. All right, Becca. Having heard your testimony, it is now my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Amen. Let me pray for you, okay? Lord, we just thank you for Becca. We thank you, God, for your hand on her life. We ask you, Lord, that you would continue to bless her as she, as she grows and seeks to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. Thank you, Jesus, for her. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
Let's stand. Let's worship together. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's sing. Let's celebrate. Woo. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I met you I was breathing I was breathing but not All my failures, all my failures I try to hide. It was my turn till I met you. Sing it out, church. You called my name.
church why do we celebrate the psalmist says in Psalm 34 verse 4 King David said I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears and in that one scripture we see some amazing things we see that when we seek God that he answers us you know that he delivers us that he doesn't deliver us from some 
He delivers us from all of our fears. He is faithful. In this, in this thing, we see some amazing truths. And as he delivers us from all, the truth is no matter how dark or how dire our situation is, he, he can and will lift us up and place us on the rock, the foundation of Christ. And the biggest thing that believers that you and I have been saved from is ourselves, right? The biggest thing that he saves us from is sin and destruction because we have been separated from God because of our sinful nature. But through Christ and his sacrificial work on the cross, his literal death, his literal burial, and his literal resurrection has conquered all those things and set everything right so that when we believe by faith, God calls you holy and righteous and justified and made perfect in his sight, not because of anything you can or will ever do, but because of the work of Christ on the cross. It is the personhood of Christ that we seek, the personhood of Christ that we seek to worship because he is the only name that saves. He has rescued you. He has paid a heavy price for your, for your life. And my prayer is that today, church, we would simply see and taste and know that the Lord is good, that that greatest treasure becomes ever more magnified in our lives. And we sing because we have been rescued from something terrible ourselves. Let's sing.
Church, yes, you may be seated. Amen. Last fall, I had the opportunity to attend a guy's getaway with 13 other men from Southview Baptist at Camp Caswell down at the North Carolina coast. I'd never been on a men's retreat before, so as you can imagine, I was a little apprehensive about going, but deciding to go was one of the best decisions I ever made. So what I liked most about the last men's ministry trip to Fort Caswell was um, it really gave me a chance to understand the, the true value of fellowship. And not just fellowship with the church in general, but specifically men in the church. So coming out of the retreat last year, uh, one of the things that, that really got to me is we talked about Peter. And Peter was kind of rough around the edges. And... God really worked through Peter and Peter and used him as a foundation for the church. And understanding that, I'm rough around the edges as well, and God can work in me. And that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. That's what I brought back was to dig deeper into the Word. As we pulled into the front gate, I knew God had something special in store for us. We had great speakers and breakout sessions. We had well-thought-out planned activities. Or you could just rest and do nothing during your free time. It was really cool during that trip. On the first night, we're doing a, uh, a worship service. And um, they started playing the first song. And immediately, as soon as the music started and the singing started, the 65 to 70 guys that were in the small chapel, uh, immediately all of us started singing and worshiping and, and glorifying Christ uh, as loud as we could. And it was so awesome because pretty much immediately the, the sound uh, from the speakers was overwhelmed by just the, the words and the music of, of God's people worshiping. And it was really, really cool to see. I'm looking forward to 
this year's retreat coming up. Looking forward to going down and spending time and fellowshipping with the men of our church so that we can come back and, and just be refreshed, renewed, and get into the Word of God. So guys, what I would say is, if you have any thought about going, pray about it, and sign up and go. I promise you won't be disappointed. All right. Well, we do encourage you to sign up. Uh, this week is the final week to sign up for that retreat, guys. So you got to sign up this week, $50 deposit. Uh, if you're going, uh, you also, uh, teenage sons, middle school, high school, they're free to go as well. Um, not free to go, but they, you know. Um, of course, if you have a kid, ain't nothing they do free. We all know that to be true. Um, so, but this is the last week to sign up. We've got like 60-some guys signed up already. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, so if you were if you were not sure you were going to go because you're afraid you're going to sign up, there's going to be three random guys you don't know, um, and you know there there I know there's guys in the room that have not signed up for that reason because I probably would have been thinking the same thing. Um, we've got a whole bunch of guys going, so uh, come be a part of that. Uh, that's going to be October 21st through the 23rd. This is your last week to sign up. Just text retreat to our number. $50 deposit for everyone going. Uh, reserve your spot and you're set and ready to go. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's find Genesis chapter 3 together, okay? Genesis chapter 3. So if you were with us last week, we began a series we're calling The Story. And in this series, we're looking to go through the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and show the big story of the whole Bible. Right Here's the whole Bible, here's what's going on, here's the big idea. Uh, and so we began that last week. And what we're trying to show in all of this is the main point of the Bible is God. Right. The main point of the Bible is not me, the main point of the Bible is not you, the main point of the Bible is not our life or our issues or our problems, the main point of the Bible is God. And what we talked about was when we... When we get outside of that and try to make it about us and we come to the Bible in some attempt to look for something to help my life, which again is their teaching and direction and God, of course all of those things are here. But if I go to the Bible in some way to try to find something that's going to help me, who have I made the center focus of it all? Me, right? I've got a problem, so I'm going to go to this book so I can find the answer to make my life a little bit better. And what we're going to hopefully see as we go through this series is, A, that's a wrong way to view and understand the Bible, and B, that's the reason why it hasn't worked for you. And I know there are people in this room who have thought to yourself, I tried the church thing, I tried the Bible thing, I did that, they told me to get a Bible, I got a Bible, they told me to read it, I read it, they told me to do a quiet time, I did a quiet time, I did all those things, but it didn't help, it didn't work. And, and what we're going to try to hopefully show you as we go through the series is there, perhaps the reason for that is you've been coming at it from the wrong perspective. You've been trying to come at it as sort of this, the Bible is sort of this fragmented group of stories, kind of Aesop's fables, you go and you read a story to try to learn some moral teaching of how to live a better life. And so you go try to apply that to your life. And, you know, it usually doesn't pan out all that great. And so our big idea that we're looking to 
establish in all of this is the Bible is not intended to be a roadmap for your life. I know that that is a very, very, very common evangelical phrase. The Bible is a roadmap for your life. And, and, and again, there's teaching, there's guidance, there's direction. It is the, the Bible would say of itself, it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Yes, don't deny any of that. But what we're going to try to help you understand is this. If you just come to the Bible for the direct purpose of finding answers to fix your life, you're going to miss the big idea. The point of the Bible is not just simply to be a roadmap for your life. The point of the Bible is to be a neon sign pointing you to Jesus. And as you trust in Jesus and turn to Jesus and walk in Jesus, He then changes your life. So yes, it does affect you. It does change you. You are different, but it's not because you grabbed something and then you applied it. It's because it pointed you to Jesus. You trusted in Jesus and Jesus changed you. So as we go through today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, which in all seriousness might be one of the most important sections of literature ever written in the history of humanity. And that is not an overstatement. The Bible is the most important book that has ever been written. And Genesis chapter 3 is one of the most important sections in the entire Bible. Here's why. Genesis chapter 3 is going to explain why you're so jacked up. Right? In order for you to fix a problem, you have to understand what the problem is. Right? We may disagree on what is going on. We may disagree on a lot of things. But one thing that I think everyone in the room will agree on is this world is broken. Right? We, Houston, we have a problem. Now, we may disagree on what that problem is and what the answer is. Some may think the issue is economic. Some may think the issue is educational. Some may think the issue is social. Some may think the issue is racial. Some may think the issue is governmental policy. You may think all those things. The Bible is going to disagree with you, and we're going to try to explain that today. But even if we're not at this point agreeing on what the issue is and what the problem is, we can all agree that there is a problem. And Genesis 3 is going to help us see exactly what that problem is. How did we end up where we are? So if you were with us last week, we were introduced to the main character, the main figure in this story. It's God, right? You have God and God alone. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, he is by himself in authority and power and glory and honor and out of an overflow of just grace and compassion and love just for his glory and his glory alone, he starts making stuff, right? He's just showing off, right? He's just making stuff. In the midst of all of that, he stops. He's sort of almost, you see him in uh, Genesis 1 and 2 taking almost sort of a step back. And he starts to create humanity in a completely different way. He creates Adam and he creates Eve as our first parents. And, and as we see him creating, he creates them to have a special, unique relationship with him. And when God creates this world, he creates it as a paradise. 
And he creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in it. And everything is good. There is no sin. There is no sorrow. There is no pain. There is no death. Humanity lives in perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship with one another. Perfect fellowship with the rest of creation. All is right. And the Bible would even describe it as very good. Right? Everything is right with the world, literally. But something happens between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to unpack that today. Before we do, here's our big idea for our service just today. What we're going to see today is we were made in God's image and rebelled against him. But Jesus was made in our likeness, obeyed God, and delivered us. So we're made in God's image and rebel against him. In order to save us from that, Jesus now comes in our image and likeness. And humanity steps in our place, obeys God perfectly, and redeems and delivers us. So Genesis chapter 3, let's pick it up together in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? All right, let's stop for a second. Let's unpack verse 1. So last week we were introduced to the hero of the story, God. Today we're introduced to the villain. Uh, here we see him representing himself as a serpent. Revelation 12 verse 9 would tell us that this serpent is Satan. And Satan comes and he is described here in verse 1 as more crafty. That phrase more crafty means that he was sly. He was subtle. John 8 says that Satan just doesn't lie. He is literally the father of all lies. All lies flow from him. What I want you to see as we begin Genesis 3, and again, how it relates to the story of your life as well. Satan does not show up in a red suit, horns, and a pitchfork. Right? He doesn't show up and say, hey, follow me to death. Right? He doesn't do that. Right? He shows up sly and subtle and sneaky and deceptive. And isn't that the exact same way he comes at us? I know that there are people in this room, maybe you are currently right now in a situation or you have been in your life where you stepped into a temptation, but you had no idea it was going to drag you as far as it did. You had no clue it was going to take you as far and as fast as, as, as it did. If you knew that it was going to train wreck everything, there's no way you would have done it. Which is why Satan didn't tell you that on day one. Right? He's sneaky. He's sly. He's subtle. And he comes here to Eve in the same way. He says there in verse 1, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And then look how Eve responds. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, 
neither shall you touch it lest you die. So what we're doing here, again, it's very, very, very important. Genesis 3 is foundational. Every sin, every failure, every pain, every broken relationship, every illness, every death, every single bad thing that has grown in your life came from the soil of Genesis chapter 3. So it is imperative if you're going to understand the rest of the Bible, and if you're going to really understand your own life, and if you're going to understand what's actually going to be the answer for all of these things, it is imperative that we get Genesis 3 in our hearts well. Verse 1, Satan is sneaky. The Bible would call him an angel of light. He comes offering you good. We're going to see that played out here. He offers you good. He offers you blessing. He offers you a better plan than God could ever offer you. But you must have it established in your mind. Listen, I've never seen anyone rebel against God and it end up better for them. Like, I've never seen that happen. I've never seen anyone usurp God and it propels them forward in life. At least not for long. Satan comes in and he's sneaky. And, and look here, not only in what Satan is doing, but I want us to see also how the people wrongly interact with him. Look again at verses 2 and 3. The woman said, we may eat of the, trees of the, fruit, uh, the fruit of the trees in the garden. Verse 3, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, if you are a diligent student of the Bible, you read Genesis 1, you read Genesis 2, now you read Genesis 3, there's something in verse 3 that should go ding, 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 ding for you. Something in here, one of these things is not like the other. Something here is wrong, something here does not fit. The way Eve spoke to the serpent, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Quick question. Going back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Did God say don't touch the tree? No. No, he didn't. He never said it. This is the first instance of legalism in the Bible. Adding something that God did not say. So here's legalism. Legalism is God made a rule. We don't want to break that rule. Good. We don't want to cross that line. Good. So let's do this. Let's back it up three steps and make this the new rule. So that it keeps us safe. It keeps us far away from the ledge. We're not tiptoeing off the cliff. We're way back here. And we all feel better. Here's going to be the problem with it, though. Listen to me. When you start mixing God's rules and your rules, you very quickly stop. You start to confuse which is which. You start to put God's rules and your rules on the same level. And if we're going to keep reading our Bibles, we're eventually getting to the New Testament. We're going to find people who are really, really, really good at that. The Pharisees putting their rules and God's rules on the same level. You know what led, that, that led them to do? Kill Jesus. Legalism always goes bad. Legalism is not the answer to sin and temptation. God wants us to be modest. 
So, let's back it up a few steps and say, everyone needs to dress like this. God says that we should raise our children to know and fear and love the Lord. So let's back it up a few steps and say, everyone should raise their kids like this. God says that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, so we should glorify God as that. So let's back it up a few steps and say, no one is allowed to do these things. What are we doing? Exactly what Eve did. Adam and Eve, they manipulated the situation. They said, well, God said don't eat that, so let's back it up and don't touch it. But what we're going to see is when when you start to confuse your rules for God's rules, it ends up going, it never helps you, it always hurts you. Listen, there's a strong push in the human heart for legalism. There's no problem that a good rule and a big stick can't fix. But the problem is legalism cannot save you. It only damns your soul. And listen, as parents, we try to raise our kids in this way a lot. You know what happens? Listen, I've been doing this for a long time. I've got four of my own. I've been a pastor for 20 years. I've been around. Man, when you try to raise kids in a legalistic fashion, you've got to obey, you've got to obey, you've got to obey, you've got to obey. We're going to look a certain way. We're going to act a certain way. We're not going to be like those kids over there. We're going to be different. Usually one of two things happens when that kid goes to college. A, they lose their mind. If you own social media, you've seen this. Right? They lose it. Why? Because what was holding them in check was not a love for God. It was a fear of you. And that does not change the human heart. Or they just break. And they become feeble, small, insufficient Christians. Because they don't know how to just trust the grace of God, walk in holiness and submission to Him because they love God and God loves them. They don't know how to do that. All they know how to do is try their best not to disappoint you. It doesn't work out. And we see it here in Genesis 3. Legalism came in, and it broke everything. So, look at how Satan responds to that. Verse 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan attacks in two main ways, identity and authority. So let's kind of unpack that as we go through verses 4 and 5, okay? Identity and authority. So in other words, Satan attacks the identity of God, and he attacks the authority of God. And he tries to get you to to go after his deceptive way. So how does Satan attack the identity of God? Look at what he's doing there in verses 4 and 5. Number one, he's lying. God said, if you eat this, you're going to die. Verse 4, Satan says, no, no, you're not. You're not going to die. God, the issue is God's holding out on you. The reason God's saying no to this is not because he's protecting you. It's because he's holding you down. He doesn't care for you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want good for you. He's attacking the good character and identity and nature of God. 
No longer is it God's a good dad who loves you and cares for you and, and yes says no to these things because he knows those are going to harm you. No, 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 no. God is saying no because he doesn't care for you and he doesn't love you. It, which is ridiculous. I mean, imagine you went home with your kids today and, and you line your kids up in the kitchen. You open up the fridge and you said, all right, guys, everything in this fridge is yours. You can eat it. You go to the pantry. Everything in this pantry is yours and you can eat it. And you open up all the cupboards. Everything in here is yours. You can eat everything in this kitchen. It is all yours. Then you go under the sink, open up the cabinet, pull out the bleach and go, you can't drink that though. Right? These things are good. That's going to kill you. Don't drink that. That's what God did. Right? He's like, all these things are good. You can have all of them. You can partake in as much as you want. It is all yours. But that's going to kill you. I love you too much. I don't want to see you walk through that. So don't eat that. And that's the one thing Satan suddenly comes after. And says, hey, it's not going to kill you. No, 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 God's holding out on you. So then he goes after the identity and the authority. Listen, you need to take control of your own life. You need to do what's going to make you happy. You need to do what you think is going to be best for you. God doesn't know. I mean, my, he's, he's God. What does he know? I mean, this book is old. It was written a long time ago. Life has changed. Society has changed. You need to do what makes you happy now. Nothing's different. He comes after us the exact same way, right, attacking the identity of God. He doesn't really know you. He doesn't really love you. He doesn't really want best for you. He's trying to keep you down. He's, the reason he's saying don't get a divorce is because that's going to make you happy, and God doesn't want you happy. Don't you want to be happy? Go be happy. You be your own authority. You do what you think is going to be best for you. Yes, walking out that lifestyle, living in that way, doing those things. Yes, the Bible says don't do it, and God says don't do it, and everybody at the church says don't do it. What do they know? You do what makes you happy. It is Genesis 3. This is the same story just played out in your life now, not just Adam and Eve. He comes after God's identity. He comes after God's authority. He says, no, 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 no. He doesn't really know you. He doesn't really love you. He's not really here for your best. You know better. You know good. Why don't you go take it? And then you see what happens in verse... Six. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It's really easy just to kind of skim past verse six, but Genesis three six. Again, every sin. Every failure, every fall, every broken relationship, every death, every sickness, every heartache, every pain comes out of just that verse. How important is Genesis 3? Every broken, jacked up, horrible thing in your life that makes you look up into heaven and say, Why God, why? came from verse 6. That's it. All they had to do was look at the serpent and say, no, verse 6 doesn't happen, and boom, here we're, it's different. Verse 6 changed 
everything. And, and look at how they responded. What happened as a result of this? I'll show you five things real quick. Number one, shame. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The end of chapter 2, verse 25 says that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Specifically says that. They were naked, not ashamed. Life was good. They sin, rebel against God. Immediately what comes in, the immediate first thing that happens, shame. I can't believe I did that. can't believe I thought that. can't believe I said that. Why did I, what's so stupid of me? What was I thinking? You desperately, like, like is, is there a delete button for life? Like, how do I, how do I rewind? I can't believe that happened again. Shame. Comes from Genesis 3. It's this very first thing. Then what happens when you're ashamed? You hide. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What's the very first thing you do when you sin? You hide it. Or you try. Exactly what's happening here. <laughs> and they don't do a very good job of hiding. Adam thought that he could stand behind a tree and God wouldn't see him. He plays hide and go seek like your two-year-old. If I close my eyes, he can't see me. We hide. Which is why when you have a bad week, you don't show up to church. You're hiding. And for the record, you're just as bad at it as Adam and Eve. They thought they could hide behind a tree. You thought not being in this room makes you hide from God. We hide. Why do we hide? Because we're afraid. Verse 9. For the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. We're ashamed, we're afraid, so we hide. And then when we're caught, what do we do? We immediately stand up and go, all right, I confess, you got me. <laughs> no, verse 11, we blame. He, that's God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? It's a simple yes or no question, right? Like, it's not complicated. Again, think parent. Right? You ask a question that shouldn't be... Here's a great... If you're, if you're new to the parenting thing, here it is. If you ask a simple question and they in their answer make it more complicated, ding, 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 right? Like, oh... <laughs> I thought this was, now I know it ain't simple, right? I thought I was just asking the question. You didn't tell me yes or no. Now we need to keep asking questions. Look what Adam does. Have you eaten what I told you not to eat? Verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. He blames. And he doesn't just blame Eve. Who else does he blame? God. Right? He's like, look, God, I'm not here to point fingers. Right? It's like it's every counseling session I've ever been in. I know I'm not perfect. But, God, I'm just saying, that woman 
who you gave to me, she gave me some fruit. Yeah, 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 okay. So then he turns to the woman, verse 13. The God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's not my fault. The, the devil made me do it. Eve was a charismatic. It ain't my fault. Satan made me do it. It's all him. I can't be held responsible. We blame. We shift. We try to figure out every way possible for it not to be my fault. And when then all of that fails, I want to circle back up to verse 7 and I want to get this one. What do we do? We try to figure out ways to fix it ourselves. I believe Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 is the first instance of religion in the Bible. And I'm using that word religion in a pejorative sense. It's a negative. Not like a good James, pure and undefiled religion. A bad way. Doing something in your own effort to try to get to God. Look again at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. So what did they do? Run to God and say, we messed up, help me? Nope. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I know, I know. So here's what goes on, right? You sin. You're filled with shame and fear and regret. What do I do? So what do you do? You hide. And when hiding doesn't work, you blame and when blame doesn't work, what do you do? You try to figure out a way to make yourself better. You're going to improve yourself. You're going to figure it out. You're going to do it. You're going to get it done. The point of Genesis 3 is to show us how sin came into the world, how we in our human hearts wrongly respond to it, and how it just makes the situation worse. I mean, how many times have we seen it's not the crime that gets you, it's the cover-up. Right, if you just, what, we, uh, so yesterday we had um, uh, a breakfast for law enforcement and first responders, had a whole bunch of people show up, it was great. We had a wonderful time just ministering to those folk and loving on them for a little bit. But I was, uh, met uh, one of the local state troopers, so I was talking to him, we were just, you know, talking and, you know, telling me a little about the job, and he's been in uh, with uh, the force for over 20 years now, and he said, he said, things are different now. He said, everybody thinks they can run. He said, everybody runs. And I said, and it's always over stupid stuff. He's like, this could have been a 15-minute ticket. And you're on your way. But now we've got to make it a thing. Right? Now you've got to go to jail. Right? All you had to do was pull over and hand me your license. And if you didn't have that, we'll figure that out too. Like, just pull over. No, gotta run. This, brothers and sisters, why do they do that? Why do they do that? Again, this, the point of this is to make all of life finally make sense to you. Why do they run? Genesis chapter 3. Right? All of life. What we want as we see the big story of the Bible, we want all of this to go, oh, it makes sense. Now I get it. Now I understand why I do that. Now I understand why I'm drawn to that. Now I get why I'm filled with shame. Now I get why I try to hide. Now I get why I try to blame everybody in the world except myself. Well, my parents did a bad job of raising me. My spouse doesn't really love me. My kids are possessed by Satan. 
And there's all kinds of great reasons. Blame, 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 blame. And then when the blame doesn't work, I know, I know, I know. I'm going to make myself better. And it doesn't work. So then we begin to see some of the consequences for our sin. And I'll just hit this very quickly because we're going to unpack this more. Next week is Mother's Day. Next week is Mother's Day. Next week is Mother's Day. And we're going to focus specifically on ladies in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and, and circle back and just focus on ladies. Father's Day, we'll do the same thing, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 with guys. So we'll unpack this a little bit more then. But I just want to explain a little bit of what's going on. Consequences for sin. Verse 16. To the woman, God said, after all of this, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What we see with the woman is the main hit of the curse is on her relationship with her husband and with her children. Now that is not... All-encompassing for everything, obviously, for us today, you may have issues and problems and strife and things, other things. But every woman in this room can probably say, a massive source of difficulty and pain and heartache and sanctification and growth in the Lord and failure and sin. It's a lot to do with the relationship with your husband in your relationship with your kids. And again, what I want you to see, we're hoping to make all this finally make sense. That's because of Genesis chapter 3. That's not random for you. I know social media makes us think that we're the only people in the world with problems. You look on social media, you're like, their life is perfect. They don't have any problems. Their husband brings them flowers. You didn't know what that stupid fool did yesterday to make him need to bring flowers today. Right? What social media does is it forces us to compare our lowlights with everyone else's highlights. Make sense? What do you post on social media? The good times. And so you know you live in the bad and you see everybody else is good and you're like, well, they're alive. No, Genesis 3 is going to tell you everybody's on the same page. This is all of us. So you struggle with the relationship with your husband. And there's tension there, and there's struggle there, and there's strife there. We'll unpack that next week. And then there's, there's pain in childbearing with your kids. And now I think, one, it's obviously speaking of the actual physical pain with having children, which I've never personally have had kids. But I stood there four times, and so... It looked, like, it looked like it hurt. I ain't going to lie. I mean, it, it looked like that junk hurt. And so, here's God's wisdom. I mean, God in his wisdom, he knew if men had to go through the pain of childbearing, the human population would be significantly smaller. Right? You have that, had that first kid. Like, I think we should have a second one. Have you lost your mind? That, that stuff hurts no we are not doing that but so there's there's pain in childbearing but i think and again we'll, we'll talk about this more next week but but i think there's also referred to not just pain in childbearing but pain in child rearing i mean listen before you had kids 
Did you think a three-year-old could make you cry? Nope. Right? You're like, please, I will smack that kid in the head. No. That kid is not. And then you have a toddler, and next thing you know, you've locked yourself in the bathroom weeping. Like, what? What just happened? Genesis chapter 3. Right? It's like, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one. No. It's right there. Genesis chapter 3, these consequences for sin and all that comes with it. And then, real quick, verse 22, we see this culmination of the consequence. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Stop. So if you have a Bible or if you're watching the screen, look at the end of verse 22. Like it stops and there's this dash. So what's going on there? Literally, what's happening is God has just stopped mid-sentence. He has just said, all right, he's eaten of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. If he reaches out his hand, and now he's the tree of life, and can live forever in bondage to his sin, and then he just stops the idea of you and I being forced to live for all eternity under the bondage of our sin was so unthinkable for God, God couldn't complete the sentence. He had to stop at the thought of you not having deliverance from your sin. And then 23, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man and had the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were kicked out of paradise. Out of the presence of God. Out of the pleasure of God. Out of the, the, the being able to live just in perfect union and fellowship with Him. They're kicked out of paradise. For you and I, again, I want us to see that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is foundational for everything. So you have Genesis 1, 2, and 3, which for me goes literally to page 4 in my Bible. All right? So page 4 gets me to the end of chapter 3. Then the next... One thousand five hundred and thirty-four pages. The first four pages is just explaining how we got here. The next one thousand five hundred and thirty-four pages is explaining how God is working to get you out of it. It all makes sense. Genesis one through three: there is a God. God created; He created humanity to live in perfect fellowship with Him. Instead of doing that, we rebelled against Him and had consequences for sin thrown onto us. And He spends the entire rest of the Bible explaining how He's going to deliver you from it. 
none of the rest of the Bible is going to make sense if Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are not foundational in your heart. God is the center focus, not me. God created me that I would live just in his face, in his presence, for his glory, under his authority, for all of life. But I sinned and rebelled. I didn't do that. I went my own way, my own path. I said things I should not say. I did things I should not do. I did not do other things that I should have done. I sinned, and as a result of that, I was cast out of God's presence, just like Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And now I need help. And Genesis 3 shows us that you can't help you. There aren't enough fig leaves in the world to cover all your sin and shame. You can't fix you. So you need a Savior. Which is where we get Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Our only answer for sin is Jesus. I'm going to ask our band to come up. I want to read 315 to you. God is now proclaiming the curse over the man, over the woman, and now he pronounces a curse over the serpent. Verse 14 says you're going to have to go on your belly and, and so all that. And then verse 15, he, he looks specifically, he's almost sort of looking through the serpent into Satan. And he's speaking directly to Satan. And look at what he says, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and this woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's this is saying, um, theologians call Genesis 3.15 the Proto-Evangelion. Proto is first, Evangelion, good news or gospel. So this is the first gospel, the first proclamation of the good news. And what God is saying is this. Satan, you came in and you deceived my people. You came in and you tempted them and they followed you. And they did it on their own volition and they're going to be punished for that. But you're the one who led them there. And they can't fix themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't make themselves better. I have to do this. So here's what we're going to do. From this woman that you deceived, there's going to come a descendant. There's going to come someone born of a woman. But this isn't going to be just any normal person. This is going to be the ultimate curse ender and Satan crusher. And you're going to take a snap at him. And you're going to think you've got him beat, but you don't. The hill that you bit is going to turn and crush your skull. You can't stop it. It's going to happen. It's just now a matter of time. And then... The story starts to shift. And in the next 10 weeks, we're going to see that story move and grow. And God's going to call a people. And he's going to raise them up. And he's going to engage with them and interact with them and develop a relationship with them. And he's going to call them to know him and love him and serve him and obey him. And they're going to fall and stumble just like we do. But it's all going to serve a purpose because, again, he's pointing to something greater and pointing to something greater and pointing to something greater. And all of this, he's pointing to Jesus. 
Galatians chapter 3 says that the curse-ending, Satan-crushing king is Jesus. He is coming. And he lived a sinless life for you. Just like Eve was tempted in the garden. The desires of the flesh, the desires of, eyes, of the eyes, the pride of life. Don't you want this fruit? It looks good. It's going to taste good. It's going to make you better. Don't you want it? Take it. Those same temptations are going to be cast onto Jesus by Satan. Satan's going to meet Jesus in the wilderness. You're going to say, Jesus, the Father's making you do what? For them? No, no, no. There's a better way. You don't have to do what he says to do. You know there's a better way. Just like he told Eve. Did God really tell you that? No, 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 no. There's a better way, Eve. And he tells Jesus. There's a better way, Jesus. You don't have to be hungry. You're God. Turn these stones to bread and get something to eat. Let's go. Die for them? Why? They hate you. No, no, no. Just bow to me. I'll give you all the stuff. You don't have to do that. But what we see in Matthew chapter 4 is where Eve fell in the temptation, Jesus passed the temptation. Where Eve fell in sin, Jesus stood in righteous holiness. And he did that because, listen to me, just like Eve fell, we fall. You can't fix you. You are broken. You are in sin. There aren't enough fig leaves in the world to cover your sin and your shame. You can't fix you. So Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again. So that you can trust in him. Say, Jesus, I need you to make me new. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And I want to ask... For you here today. One. Just be honest with God. Are you like Adam and Eve? You're still living under the shame of your sin. You're still trying to hide in your sin. You're still afraid of what God or other people might think of you in your sin. You're blaming everybody else instead of taking personal responsibility. You're trying your best to figure out your own path and your own way to make yourself better. Today I want you to see none of that is going to work. None of it is going to work. But Jesus Christ came and he died for you. He lived a sinless life that you could never live. He he said no to every temptation that you always say yes to. He said no to every one of them for you. And then he went to the cross and took the punishment that you would have rightfully deserved because of your sin. He was buried and he rose again to prove that he is God and victorious over it all. Today, I want to encourage you. Turn to Christ and say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Take away this curse that is on me. I submit my life just to you. I live under your authority. 
And for those of you who are followers of Christ today, my question for you, how do we live this out? Stop trying to do it in your own strength. You can't. Every moment of every day, every morning, begin your time, and then every moment of the day where you feel weak and tempted after that, you fall on your face, even if it's just in your mind, before Jesus, and say, Jesus, I need you. I want to say no to this temptation, or i got to be honest, I want to say yes to this temptation. Jesus, I need you. Empower me. Empower me to obey. Empower me to obey. Before I stepped up to preach, we sang the last song. He said, I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue. Where else can I go? There's no other name by which I am saved. Capture me with grace. I follow you. Take just a minute, sit before the Lord. If that's your heart and your desire, confess that to him. Tell him that. Spend just a moment in prayer. Thank Jesus that he ended the curse for you through the cross. So now you get to just live in the grace and mercy of God. God, thank you. Thank you for just, God, thank you for everything. Thank you, God, for just loving us. Thank you, God, for just, thank you for for not making us the center of the story because that weight would just be too much to bear. Thank you that you made it about yourself so that we get to just turn to you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the cross for us, taking the curse for us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, before we end our time together, uh, I want to introduce you to some folk. We've got some people coming for membership today. Went through a membership process. We had a, a crew in the first service, now some in the second. Total between both services, I think we have 20 people today coming, um, presenting for membership. So very excited about that. So I'm going to call your name when I do. Come forward. Let's line up front here uh, so we can introduce you to everyone uh, presenting for membership. So the Carters, Frank and Paulette, if you guys can come on down. You are the first contestant. Come on down this way. And as you're coming down, uh, uh, Eugene and Shailene, you guys come on up also. We'll go ahead and get the next one lined up as well. So this is Frank and Paulette. Uh, so good to be able to spend a little time with them and get to know them and their story. Just great folk who just served the Lord for years and 
moved cross country uh, here to be with family, came from California here uh, uh, so they can be around family and so, so great to have them here and be a part of us. So, so Frank and Paulette come today uh, presenting themselves for membership here at Southview. So if you're excited about that, uh, them joining us in membership, just let them know by saying amen. Amen. Very good. Uh, Eugene, Shailene, come on down this way, guys. So this is Eugene and Shailene Jackson. They've been uh, a part of our church here uh, for um, uh, a while now, well over, well over a year. Yeah. So uh, excited to have them be a part of our church here, coming today, going through the membership process, and uh, now presenting themselves to be covenant members here at Southview. So again, if you're excited about these guys being a part of our church, let them know by saying amen. All right, the Smiths, Earl, Carol, Emily, come on down, guys. You can fill in right in the front, right across here. So this is Earl and Carol and Emily. They come today, uh, same. They've been a part of our church for a while now. Uh, Earl and Carol are a part of our journey group. Uh, for Marie and I, so we get a chance to spend some time with them every week and see the Lord do such a great work in them. Uh, and so, uh, been walking with the Lord for years and, and excited about being a part of our church here and um, being a part of the work that the Lord is doing. So if you're excited about uh, the Smiths coming today, being a part of our church here at Southview, let them by know again by saying amen. Amen. And then Jack and Avery. Oh, right up front. Perfect. Come on up, guys. Uh, you met Jack earlier in the pool. This is wife Avery, Jack and Avery coming today again to be a part of membership. Jack and Avery, they're a part of our journey group as well. So we get a chance to spend a little time with them every week and see them growing in the Lord. And so excited for Jack and Avery, them coming and being a part of our church here. Excited for what all the Lord is doing in them. So if you're excited again for Jack and Avery coming and being a part of our church here at Southview, let them know by saying amen. We... We, yes, we amen because they eye you in down at the Rotary Club. We amen you in at the church. So it's different. But excited for these folk coming and being a part of uh, our church family here. So I'm going to pray for them. Uh, pray for them uh, as God allows them to plant roots here at Southview and get established. And then when I'm done, uh, I'm going to, uh, a couple quick announcements, but don't run off. Just grab a spot here on the front row because, one, I know people are going to want to come by and say hello. And second, we want to get a quick snapshot of you guys. So don't run off, all right? So but stay close. Uh, but I want to pray for these guys um, and praise God for them. So, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for these wonderful folk. Uh, uh, coming today to be a part of your work here at Southview. We thank you, God, for those who joined in the first service, God, and, and, and just so excited for what you're doing, excited for, um, God, just how your story is unfolding in these lives individually and in the life of our church as a whole. We pray, God, just your blessings on these folk. We pray, God, that you would allow them to find exactly where you would have them to be uh, as far as serving here and making connections here and growing a part of the family. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you, God, for them. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Give them another hand. All right. Well, real quick for you guys, I'm going to let you go. A um, couple of quick announcements. Uh, one, if you are a guest with us today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. 
Uh, we'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is to simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. We'd love for you to do that so we can be connected with you. Uh, second, um, for, for everything, uh, for everyone here, we got our big three announcements, all right? Big three things going on here at Southview we want everybody to know about. One, ladies' breakfast this coming Saturday, 9 o'clock this Saturday. Ladies, if you want to sign up for that, text BREAKFAST to our number to sign up there. Guys, if you're free Saturday morning, we'd love some help preparing for that. So you can just come by the church, you know, 7, 8 o'clock. We'd love for you to come by, help us uh, serve those ladies and clean up everything afterwards. So if you can be a part of that, guys, we'd love that. Ladies, be sure to sign up to be a part. Second, equip class. We do equip classes. These are just sort of, we call the big rock classes. These are the big rocks of the Christian faith we want everyone to know. Our next one that we're going to be doing is Core Christianity 101. Going to explain the big ideas of the Christian faith, whether you're new to the faith or you've been in the faith for a long time. It's a great class to be a part of just to be reinvigorated uh, with the truths of the gospel and uh, what God does in us, his people. So you can sign up for that by texting uh, EQUIP to our number. You'll be able to sign up for that just by texting EQUIP to 910-424-1298. That class is going to start June 15th. So sign up for that. And then last, VBS. That's going to be in June. Uh, sign your kids up for VBS. You can text the letters VBS to sign up. This is the, now, you can keep signing up, but this is the last week to sign up and your kid get a t-shirt, okay? So if you want your kid to get a t-shirt, sign up this week, okay? Text VBS to our number to sign your kid up for that. And for every other announcement, you can download our app. Uh, iTunes, Google Play, also catch us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, you can catch us on social media to stay up to date of all that's going on, and then also see some smiling, wonderful faces uh, that join us today. So, love you guys, God bless you, let me pray for you and let you go, okay? Lord, we just thank you, we thank you God for your work, we thank you God for all that you're doing, we ask you God that you would be glorified in us, your people. We pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.
Thank you. 